I'm Kate, and welcome to the Picture House Podcast, where we discuss the architecture, design, and history of America's early cinemas. We hope that telling the stories of these places and the people associated with them will help you explore their place in our collective memory and our communities today. This episode is the fourth in our series on movie palaces. In this episode, we'll talk about the powerhouse architectural firm of Rap and Rap, who designed hundreds of movie palaces throughout the U.S. Rap and Rap was a prolific firm that designed many notable theaters, like Lowe's Jersey Theater, the Paramount in New York, and the Public's Portland Theater. We'll likely cover more of their work in future episodes, but today we'll focus just on their relationship with movie theater purveyors Balaban and Katz. The resulting amazing theaters in Chicago that came out of their partnership are some of Rap and Rap's best architecturally and some of their best known. In 1907, when he was 18 years old, Abraham, or A.J. Balaban, started working as a singer at the Kedzie, a 103-seat storefront Nickelodeon theater on Kedzie Avenue in Chicago. In 1908, his family took over management of the Kedzie, and a year after that, they expanded by building the 707-seat Circle Theater on West Roosevelt Road for $25,000. The Circle was built just a block from the Kedzie. The Balaban family clearly did well with these couple of early theaters. In 1914, Balaban gave up his day job to focus on the theater business full-time. Samuel Katz also began his movie industry career by working in a Nickelodeon, although he was a piano player rather than a singer. In 1912, Katz acquired the Wallace Theater, and by 1915, he and his father Morris owned three theaters. At some point in the early 1910s, Samuel Katz became friends with A.J. Balaban. In 1916, when the Balabans were looking for additional funding to build another theater on West Roosevelt, they teamed up with the Katzes. A.J. and his brothers John and Max, along with Sam and Morris, officially formed the Balaban and Katz Corporation to own and operate movie theaters. For the new company's first venture, the Balaban's aforementioned planned theater on West Roosevelt, they brought in the architectural firm of Rap and Rap. Brothers Cornelius Ward and George Leslie Rapp were born in Carbondale, Illinois, to Isaac and Georgina Rapp. Isaac was a carpenter and contractor. C.W. worked as a carpenter with his father for a time before forming an architecture firm with Cyrus P. Thomas in 1889. They appear to have designed several lavish residences in Chicago, working together until 1895. C.W. then worked on his own for several years until 1906, when he and his brother George, who had studied architecture at the University of Illinois School of Architecture, entered into practice together. By the time Balaban and Katz approached Rap and Rap in 1916, the brothers Rap had been working together for a decade, and in that time had designed several theaters, including the Orpheum in Champaign, Illinois, from 1914, and the Ringling, from 1915, in Baraboo, Wisconsin. When introduced in 1916, the Katzes weren't familiar with Rap and Rap, but they soon became just as enamored with the architects as the Balabans were. The first Balaban and Katz Rap and Rap theater would be known as the Central Park. Rap and Rap designed a three-story Spanish Revival building with two towers on the facade, a tile roof, 
and an exterior of brick and terracotta. When the theater opened on October 27, 1917, its some 2,600 seats were filled by Chicago's picture-loving public. Never at any time in the motion picture history of Chicago did a house get the ovations from an opening night audience that was accorded this synthesis of all progressiveness in theater construction. It was said that Balaban and Katz were swept off their feet by the congratulatory wave that broke over them. Motion picture producers, exchange men, exhibitors, and theater supply representatives from all parts of the country were present to get ideas on house construction from this model. The Central Park was a masterpiece that apparently even rivaled New York's Rialto. You might remember that the Rialto was briefly mentioned in our discussion of Thomas Lamb. The Central Park Theater was built at an estimated cost of $400,000. For this, Balaban and Katz moviegoers got beautiful mural paintings, rich decorations, fountains, French windows with mirrors for panes, a wonderful lighting system, a wealth of velvet draperies, and perfect picture projection. The theater had elegant tile flooring, decorative plasterwork, ornate chandeliers, wall sconces, and a cantilever type of balcony and mezzanine seating, which gave patrons an unobstructed view of the stage and screen. You might also remember from our Creature Comforts episode that the Central Park is generally recognized as the first mechanically air-cooled theater in the world. All of this, plus a policy that calls for the very best pictures available, made patrons feel that they have in truth paid a visit to a picture temple when they go to the Central Park. Upon its opening, the theater was said to represent the acme of Chicago's achievement in theater construction. Nothing has been overlooked, nothing has been sidestepped because of the cost that could be calculated to increase the enjoyment of patrons in watching the screen. George Rapp would later say of the Central Park that it was furnished and decorated in a manner not previously attempted in a motion picture theater, and the effect on theater goers was very pronounced. The building still exists today, is listed in the National Register of Historic Places, and is in use as a church. The Central Park essentially became the model for subsequent rap and rap movie palaces. A feature like the two-story lobby with a double staircase up to the mezzanine was later employed at the Riviera and Uptown theaters. The cantilevered balcony was used at the Tivoli and the Chicago. A horseshoe-shaped mezzanine, which was particularly effective at creating a sense of intimacy in several thousand-seat theaters, was also frequently used by Rap and Rap in their movie palaces. After the smashing success of the Central Park, Balaban and Katz grew rapidly, and Rap and Rap became, and would remain, their go-to architects. They quickly followed up the Central Park with the Riviera in 1918. Then in 1921 would come the Tivoli, along with the now iconic Chicago Theater. The sheer amount of money spent on the Chicago Theater gives us a good idea of just how crazy fast Balaban and Katz grew into a major player in the movie presentation business, and how much faith they put in rap and rap. In just five years, they went from spending $400,000 on a theater to spending nearly $4 million. That's somewhere around $60 million today. It was clearly money well spent, 
as those millions would produce a movie palace that Motion Picture News called awe-inspiring through its size, magnificent in its architecture, and of surpassing luxury in its furnishing and decorations. Balaban and Katz's new theater, the Chicago, stands a monument to the vision, courage, and enterprise of these master showmen. For the Chicago theater, Rap and Rap looked to France for inspiration. The building's overall style is French Baroque or Louis XIV, and the theater's 60-foot-wide facade, a monumental design carried to a height equivalent to a seven-story building in granite and polychrome terracotta, was patterned after the Arc de Triomphe in Paris. Within the arch is set a great, multi-paned window that includes a 70-foot stained-glass medallion containing the Balaban and Katz coat of arms. Yeah, these guys had their own coat of arms. According to one admirer, the wrap-and-wrap-designed exterior made the Chicago Theater the handsomest building in the city. Beyond the theater's facade, incorporated within its walls is every known device to promote comfort and pleasure of its patrons and to ensure the best in projection and presentation. Motion Picture News provides us with some nice descriptions of that interior from the theater's opening days. Entering from State Street, the visitor to the Chicago is ushered into a lobby treated in extremely elaborate design, with a huge marble colonnade supporting a rich vaulted ceiling which towers over him at an unobstructed height of 65 feet. This area is devoted entirely to the public as a promenade and entrance to the theater. At the end of this lobby is a grand marble stairway, 18 feet in width, which extends up to the mezzanine floor, continuing to the upper mezzanine promenade, intermediate balcony promenade, upper balcony promenade, and the top floor of the balcony. In the balcony ceiling directly above the mezzanine boxes in the rear are three elaborate oval-shaped domes 48 feet in length and 25 feet in width. These are brilliantly illuminated in the diffused color lighting, which benefits the main orchestra floor as well as the mezzanine. Motion Picture News went on to report that the Chicago could accommodate 5,000 moviegoers, 2,600 on the main floor, 500 in the mez, and another 1,900 in the balcony. In order to fit all of these seats, the auditorium had to be enormous. The theater covered a greater ground area than any theater in the country, being a half block in width and 160 feet in length. The capacity seems to have been slightly overstated. The Chicago theater seated more like 4,000. But that's still a pretty dang big theater. Rap and Rap used the cantilevered balcony design that they had used at the Central Park so that each seat had an unobstructed view. The building was also equipped with mechanical air cooling to keep its thousands of patrons comfortable. It even apparently had zones, as it was equipped with the thermostat method of temperature regulation, a control board which indicates the temperatures in various parts of the Chicago theater, enables the manager to set the various thermostats distributed about the house at the proper degree of heat. On October 26, 1921, Motion picture notables gathered for the brilliant opening, gave it the palm for grandeur and splendor over all motion picture palaces hitherto erected. It was the first deluxe theater for movies in downtown Chicago, and was billed as Movieland's Wonder House. Almost immediately, it became the flagship theater for Balaban and Cats, and today is one of the most recognizable buildings in Chicago.
The logo from the theater marquee is almost as iconic as the city's four-starred flag. C.W. Rapp Jr. once said of his father and uncle's work, of all the remaining rap and raps, the Chicago should be the one to survive. Aren't we lucky it did? Balaban and Katz continued to grow throughout the early 1920s, both through acquisition of existing theaters and construction of new ones in strategic locations. They had such confidence in their market in Chicago's uptown neighborhood that in 1925, just a few hundred feet from their 1918 Riviera, they opened the stunning new Uptown Theater. The Uptown followed the two 1921 theaters, the Tivoli and the Chicago, as another deluxe theater for Balaban and Katz. But the Uptown was a departure from those previous two theater designs, which were French-influenced. Instead, Rap and Rap gave the Uptown a Spanish flair. Covering the better part of a city block and seating upwards of 4,300 people, the Uptown became Balaban and Katz's largest theater and would forever hold that title. Nor would its size ever be surpassed by any of Rap and Rap's later work. So it's little wonder that its owners proclaimed it as one of the great art buildings of the world, an acre of seats in a magic city. Visitors stepped off the street into a large, three-story lobby fronting 60 feet on Broadway and running back 120 feet to the main auditorium. The almost overwhelming space was lined with an arcade of columns and piers. These columns are ringed at their bases with eagles and covered with shields, large and small. Practically every surface was covered in some kind of ornament, and where there wasn't a surface, the space was even embellished with chandeliers and draperies. The far end of the lobby featured a curved double staircase to carry visitors up to the mezzanine and second floor. The local landmark study for the building further describes the uptown's luscious interior. As seen from the lobby, the second flight of the curving staircase offers a tempting glimpse of the spaces beyond, encouraging patrons to walk up to the balcony level. From painted ceiling to custom-made carpeting, Every aspect of the Uptown Theater exemplified the lavishness of the movie palace. Antique and reproduction furniture lined the lobbies and lounges, the walls of which were hung with paintings. There was so much furniture, in fact, that some of it was soon sent to other theaters. Decorative objects, such as tall Chinese vases on the landing of the Grand Staircase and Dresden figurines in the Ladies' Lounge, enhanced the sense of the theater as a palace created for people of wealth and taste but to which anyone, for a small price, might gain entrance. The grandeur of the lobby establishes the sense of anticipation for the auditorium. Here the effect of the decorative detail is augmented by the use of colored lights that could be changed throughout a show to establish changing moods for the stage shows and films that made up the initial programming in the theater. The auditorium is huge, 213 feet in length and 170 feet in width, with a 92-foot ceiling, according to Motion Picture News, and like the rest of the building, reflects a mix of Spanish and heraldic elements. Three domes, set one inside the other, form the ceiling. The proscenium arch, 70 feet in width and 50 feet in height, and the multi-story organ screens to its left and right are the focus of attention through their design, as well as lighting. When it opened, the Uptown had the largest and most sophisticated stage lighting system in the world. 
Reputedly, some 17,000 electric light bulbs were in use throughout the entire theater. Architect C.W. Rapp spoke of his firm's design for, as well as Balaban and Cass's willingness to invest in, the Uptown. It is absolutely the last word in modern building, employing scientific engineering in its acoustics, its placing of seats, its eye command of screen and stage. Art and science, when given full sway by builders, who are always ready to sacrifice the immediate dollar for the merit and permanence, can go far. We feel that the Uptown Theater is the crowning glory of Balaban and Katz's efforts. Many shared Rapp's feelings. When the Uptown opened on August 18, 1925, crowds blocked streets and filled the acres of seats throughout the day and evening. The theater was lauded as a building whose size, beauty of design, and elaborateness of decoration and equipment is unsurpassed in Chicago. Today, the Uptown awaits redevelopment. It's been vacant for 40 years and might be Historic Preservation's Great White Whale. Well, some others might consider it a Great White Elephant. A recent redevelopment effort, one in a long line of them, seems to have stalled, but we'll keep hoping that the Uptown Theater is someday brought back to life. Following closely on the heels of the Uptown's success was the Oriental Theater, which opened on May 8, 1926. For this movie palace, Balaban and Katz would go back to the loop with a wrap-and-wrap 4,000-seat design inspired by India. Part of the $5 million United Masonic Temple building, the theater was heralded by Motion Picture News as Chicago's most unique and original theater, a flawless example of the best in Oriental art. The exterior of the entrance is unusually interesting with the East Indian ornament and grotesques around the large window over the sheltering canopy, giving the effect of a grand triumphal arch, the entrance to the Orient. The interior far surpasses anything heretofore attempted for a place of amusement of this character. It is an educational treat in itself as a work of art to study and examine the array of sculptured detail throughout the theater. Patrons entered a lavish, 40-foot-high lobby complete with marble columns, ornamental plaster panels, mosaic glass niches depicting dancers of the Orient, and overhead balconies in the architecture of the Far Eastern Orient, all brilliantly illuminated with special lighting effects. And upon entering the lobby, if one were to look up, they would see massive ceiling beams, ceiling panels, and coffers, richly ornamented on all surfaces with a multitude of varying oriental detail. Marble staircases led patrons from the lobby up to the mezzanine. Although the folks at Motion Picture News first found the architectural treatment of the auditorium beyond description, they actually managed to describe it really well, with its intricacies of oriental magnificence, grotesques, dancers, and Indian sculpted animal figures. The side walls of the auditorium are resplendent with lights back of colored glass around ornate canopied shrine-like niches. The proscenium arch, including the organ screens, is extremely well-developed and will be a subject for much study to absorb the splendor of the details. Of special interest are four prancing grotesque horses bracketed out 25 feet long on each side of the proscenium arch supporting the ceiling above the organ screen. Figures or statues of various oriental entertainers and magicians adorn numerous niches and panels in the auditorium. 
The ceiling of the auditorium is also of much interest with its oriental treatment. The concealed lighting effects on the wall and ceiling enhance and display the ornamentation to best advantage. A number of the architectural motifs are inspirations from the famous palaces, temples, and ancient edifices of the Orient. While all the colors of the Orient, jewels, carving, and handiwork of marvelous design greet the eye at every turn, and statues gleaming in gold and silver leaf embossing strike the spectator with their magnificence, there was more to the experience. Even the ushers, maids, and other theater staff were dressed in the costumes and styles of old Far Eastern magnificence and grandeur. Rap and Rap's architecture, combined with Balaban and Katz's high-end service, to create an otherworldly atmosphere, one where moviegoers were transported to a far-off, fantastical realm. In its long history, the Oriental has had some better years than others, and like many theaters of its vintage, it experienced a period of vacancy and general deterioration. But thankfully, it was restored in 1998, and today it operates as the James M. Niederlander Theater, the home of Broadway in Chicago. Although Rap and Rap would design many more theaters, 1926 is a good place to stop our bite-sized discussion of their extremely productive relationship with Balaban and Katz. Because, in 1926, famous players Lasky took a controlling interest in Balaban and Katz. Although the company would continue to exist in some form or another until 1970, it wasn't quite the same as during their independent years. 1926 is also a good stopping place because it's the year in which Cornelius Ward Rapp died. So let's think back to what we've talked about. In just 10 years, Balaban and Katz and Rapp and Rapp created some of the most amazing movie palaces, many of which still exist today, are in use as performance spaces, and are well taken care of. Balaban and Katz offered a practically unmatched level of service and programming and the theaters designed for them by Rap and Rap, in all their worldly-influenced lavishness, offered escapism as any good movie palace should. As noted in the Uptown Theater's local landmark write-up, Rap and Rap were experts at creating for moviegoers an environment completely removed from their own, and were particularly skilled at providing an aesthetic environment, a comfortable climate, and a smooth traffic flow. C.W. Rapp nicely described his firm's relationship with Balaban and Katz, even if it was a marketing piece in Balaban and Katz's own magazine. The outstanding fact about our association with Balaban and Katz has been their one great desire to build for all time. Balaban and Katz theaters are put up to last forever. The public does not know the extra efforts made for their comfort. The additional and unnecessary expense to which Balaban and Katz have gone just to be doubly sure that their theaters would be monuments to Chicago for future generations to look at and revel in. As one of those future generations, I am very glad they made those movie palaces to last forever. Thanks for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. And I hope you'll join us for our next episode when we head to downtown Los Angeles to look at some select movie palaces from its Broadway theater district. Until then, may your seats be ever in the center 